let's get into the Word. We're going to talk, um, continue talking about renewal today, specifically the renewing of the mind. Let's go to um, Romans chapter 12. We'll start there, and we'll see where the Lord takes us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's read that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we ask you today that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, renew our minds. Lord, as we look into your word, God, let the word wash our minds. Let the word, God, transform us and change us and conform us. Lord, to the very image of the Son of God. Father, we thank you for that, and we give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, renewal, or the renewing of the mind. So, renewal, it's a word you hear thrown around a lot in in, uh, religious circles, Um, but there is no renewal anywhere unless there is a renewing of our mind to begin with. So it's kind of like, you know, when we talked about sinful actions, any action you commit begins where? It begins up here. Um, you think about it, then you do it. Or you think about it, and you say, oh, better not do that. And so this is where our real battle is. This is what James talks about, not letting, you know, sin being conceived, temptation comes to us. Either what we see, what we hear, we're tempted, and then that thought is conceived in our mind, and depending on what we let happen to that thought, do we let that thought that's conceived there give birth to something and then ultimately bring forth death, or do we, when we recognize that thought, do we do what Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, and he says, look, by the power of the Spirit, you can cast down thoughts and cast down imaginations. You have the power and the authority by the Holy Spirit in you to arrest your thoughts, to incarcerate them and make them obey Christ. So what do we do with our thoughts? Hopefully, we recognize those thoughts that are not going to lead to good things and we cast those down. We arrest them, incarcerate them, we bring them into the obedience of Christ. And so when we talk about renewal, this is what we're talking about this process that's taking place, that our minds are being conformed more and more. Our way of thinking is being conformed more and more to the mind of Christ. And if my thinking, if my mind is being conformed to that, then guess what? My actions are going to reflect that, and I will express or manifest the life of Christ, the nature of Christ, the love of Christ. Or we go to the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22, love, 
joy, peace. Those aren't all different fruit. Those are words that characterize the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit has the characteristic. It's love. This is why love is the first thing. How much peace or joy can we really have if we do not have love? Well, we're not going to have any, really. And so we see all of these things really are bound up in in the one command Jesus left us with. He boiled it all down to this, love one another even as I have loved you. And so the fruit of the Spirit, this is the manifestation of the life of Christ in us. That's going to be manifest outwardly through us because something happens here. Our minds are renewed. And so this is the work of the Spirit that's taking place continually. Now, I I made a statement last week, uh, and it came from 2 Corinthians 3. Let's turn over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the statement was this, transformation and renewal takes place as we are beholding Him. Um, Well, how do we know that's true? Well, we know that's true based on what the Scripture declares to us here in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror... The glory of the Lord, what are we beholding in the mirror? We are beholding the glory of the Lord. What does that speak of? That speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what Paul is referring to here. We all, as beholding in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into what? The same image of from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we have this picture of what we're beholding, or Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the initiator and the completer of our faith. Of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. So where are we to be looking unto Jesus? What are we to be looking to, or what are we beholding? We are to behold Christ. And as we behold Him, as we fix our gaze upon Him, the Scripture teaches us that we are being transformed into the same image. So as I am continuously looking unto Jesus, I am continuously being transformed into the very image of Christ. How do we know that that's really what's supposed to happen? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 8. A lot of times people ask, or they wonder, I wonder what my destiny is. Well, I'm going to tell you what your destiny is right here. I'm not going to tell you. I'll let the Scripture tell you. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. To be conformed to the image of the Son. So why has God put His Holy Spirit in you, Christian? And if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you are not a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian, you can go to church every week, But being a Christian is more than what you call yourself. It's more than your association with the church. Being a Christian 
means that something supernatural has happened to you. God has caused you to be born again. You who once were darkness, He has now made light in the Lord. He has placed within you, Paul calls us jars of clay. I mean, we can boil this human body down to, we could get a fair market value of what we are really worth in terms of the minerals and the just natural resources. If you put me in a toaster oven and toasted me to ashes, you could weigh me out and you could get a fair market value of all that's left of me. We're made from dirt. But we're not like all dirt. (laughs) We're dirt that's had the breath of God breathed into us. We've been formed and we've been created into the very image of God. We bear that image. We bear the fingerprint of God. Now in the new birth, in the new creation, what has God done? God has poured into us His love by His Spirit. He has placed His very Spirit in us. Paul says we're jars of clay, we're vessels of clay, which contain something unbelievable, excellent. The Spirit of God in me is what causes me to have life. Why do you have life eternal? Because of Christ in you. Because of the Spirit of God in you. And so the Spirit of God in you is there to do what? To conform you. To cause you to become more and more and more like the image of the Son. To think like Him. To walk like Him. To talk like Him. So that you, as a member of His body, are so closely tied to the reality of your life that's been joined into Him that now there is no separation. There's no distinguishing. My hand is not distinctive in and of itself. My hand goes where I go. It does what I tell it to do. It, it, it's a part of my body directed by my head. We are members of the body of Christ. We're joined to His life. We're we're to be like the members of our bodies. We're under His direction. The identity, my hand, my feet, my fingerprints, my retina, that identity is tied to what? It's tied to me. Your identity is tied to Christ. He is your identity. It is Through Christ, it is by Christ, it's the identity of the Son that the Father knows you. You are not known apart from the Son. You're known in the Son and through the Son. And so this process of renewal, the renewing of the mind, is bringing us into closer and closer conformity to the Son of God. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we beholding? What are we looking at? The scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you spend your time, I'm not saying don't read the newspaper and don't watch the news and don't watch TV. I'm not saying that. But if you spend your time focused on what the news says, what the world says, you're going you're gonna to end up with an ulcer before too long you're going to have a nervous breakdown because it seems as though the world's falling apart. 
And you know what? The world is falling apart. But we're not of the world. God may be letting the world fall apart for a reason. Don't look at the world that's falling apart. Look at the gospel that's working in the world. Look at the very fact that we're here in Little Taylor, Texas, 2,000 years on this side of the cross. And how did we get here? We got here because the gospel works. Because the government and his peace is increasing without end. The gospel, the kingdom is the leaven that's leavening the lump. Don't be moved by what you see. Walk by faith in the Son of God. And know that God's promises are yes and amen. That his word works, his gospel works. He's got a plan. In spite of everything you might be see happening, he's got a plan. In the midst of everything happening, guess what? He has a plan. How many of you are familiar with that scripture, God works in mysterious ways? Y'all ever heard that scripture? Huh? I just tricked you. Do you know that's not in the Bible? That is not in the Bible. God works in mysterious ways is not in the Bible. You can go ahead and look. You'll never find it. It's not there. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't work in mysterious ways, right? You know where that phrase came from? Well, don't worry. I didn't know either. I actually looked it up because I knew it wasn't in the Bible. I thought, why do we... Well, we say that because God really does work in mysterious ways. But that's not a scripture. You won't find anything close to it in the Bible. But I read the, um, I did a little research and I read the history of, of where that phrase came from. And it was penned by a, na- a man named William Cowper. William Cowper. He was born in 1731. He died in 1800. William Cowper was uh, alive during the time of John Wesley and George Whitfield. And they said of Whitfield that at four o'clock in the morning you could see the lanterns of the people going out to the field where Whitfield would be preaching the gospel. Four o'clock in the morning. Would you guys be here if we said worship started at four in the morning? I don't even get here at four in the morning. I'm the pastor. Four in the morning, hundreds of people going to hear Whitfield preach. Don't tell me the gospel's not powerful. That's not something man can manufacture. That's something God does. But Cowper lived in that time. And William Cowper was not uh, born to a believing family. He, he, he was born in England. He grew up in, spent most of his time in rural England. And he was an extremely troubled man. At the age of six, his mother died. And his father sent him off to a boarding school. And he spent most of his years growing up in a boarding school. And then his father sent him to law school, but he had no interest in law. And he 
had a wealthy family, so he just kind of lived a life of leisure and just, you know, partied and did whatever. At about the age of 21, he had a very sudden and a very severe breakdown. He, he just, he had a, a nervous breakdown. No rhyme, no reason, just one day, it just hit him. And Cowper says in his writings, unless someone has experienced what I have experienced, he said there's no way of describing what it, what it is like to experience what I have experienced. He talked about the depths of depression. He actually attempted suicide multiple times unsuccessfully. I mean, from trying to poison himself to trying to hang himself on three different occasions, trying to drown himself, <laughs> he, could, he could not commit suicide. wonder why. And so, in 1763, um, which would have made him, what, uh, born in 1731, which we made him about 32 years old, after severe bouts of depression on and off. And it was interesting, in, one, in his first severe bout with depression, he goes to the English countryside and he goes to, to the coast of Southampton and he says it was the most beautiful countryside he had ever seen. And he sat there looking at the beauty of the countryside and he said, it's as if a new sun had dawned within me. And he said, it just... In, a, in an instant, it just lifted from me this depression, this heaviness. And he said, if I would have been alone, he said, I would have just wept with joy. He said, I just felt like weeping with joy because I couldn't believe what had happened. But he didn't attribute it to God. He, he still didn't have God in his life. He, he, didn't, he wasn't conscious of God. He didn't say, God did this, or thank you, God, for lifting this depression he thought it was the countryside, it was the beauty. So he spent the next years of his life in these bouts of depression trying to find different scenery to look at, thinking that the change in scenery would lift his depression. Doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, how many of us think that if we can just change our scenery, if I just move to a different town, move to a different house, get a different wife, get a different husband, get a different job... My life would be better when in reality it's not about the scenery, it's not about the environment, it's, it's about what's happening here. It's about what's happening here. And so at the age of 32, he has such a total and complete breakdown, they have to have him put in an insane asylum. His dad had made arrangements for him to get a very prominent position in the British Parliament. And it scared him so badly to have to do what he was going to have to do to speak in front of people to be publicly examined he he just he broke down to the point that they put him in this insane asylum in 1763 an insane asylum is not where you want to be but the good news was the guy who ran the asylum was a believer a very strong believer who loved the Lord, and saw what he did as a mission for Christ. And when Cowper came into the insane asylum, this director, this doctor over the asylum, saw him and immediately 
reached out to him. And Cowper actually came to faith in Christ in the insane asylum. He went out one day into the garden and there was a Bible sitting on a bench and he picked the Bible up and he began to read the scripture. He began to read about the Savior and he said, when I saw the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, he said, I, I had a glimmer of hope because he had convinced himself that he was so lost, he was so utterly despicable and rejectable that he just needed to die and go away. But there was a glimmer of hope when he read about Jesus. And something, his words, something in his heart softened. And it was shortly after that that he, he actually was born again and he realized the grace of God and he realized God's love and God's forgiveness had been extended to him. He stayed in that asylum for 12 months. He didn't want to leave. And, and actually, it didn't say this, but, but what I took from this is that doctor who led that asylum basically discipled this guy. He, he leaves and he moves to another uh, area and meets a man named John Newton. You know who John Newton is? John Newton is the guy who write, writes probably the best, best known song that... I didn't go to church growing up, but even I knew about Amazing Grace, right? I'd heard Amazing Grace. John Newton's the author of Amazing Grace. And John Newton becomes this gentleman's pastor. Now, you say, why are you telling us this story? Because I'm talking to you about the renewal of the mind. And what had happened in this man's life, William Cowper, was that somehow he had convinced himself that he needed to die, that his life was not worth living. He, he could find no joy, no hope in anything. He would just go through these bouts till one day he meets Jesus. Now I'm going to fast forward to I don't know, sometime around 1774, this guy was a poet. He, he wrote poetry. He actually has quite a lot of poetry that he wrote. And he would, he would write poetry to, to help him, to express himself, and it would help him with his bouts of depression. He would write his feelings down in poetry. And Newton recognized this, and he got Cowper to help him write a hymnal. And it's this hymnal, it's called 26 Letters on Religious Subjects by John Newton. It's in this book that John Newton wrote, and he had Cowper help him that Cowper wrote the poem. It's actually a hymn, it's been put to music, and the name of the poem is God Moves in a Mysterious Way. So this, this line, this, this saying that we we say and we attribute to the scripture, God works in mysterious ways, actually came from this man, William Cowper. Let me read you the words of this poem. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill 
He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. Do you trust the Lord? See, if we only live our lives based on what we can see or based on what we can perceive with our physical senses, we will be led astray. Your eyes will deceive you. Your senses will deceive you. I know that goes contrary to what we think. But faith is not always about what we can see. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. The bud is bitter, but the flower is sweet. If we only stop sometimes with what we can see now, what we can perceive now, we miss the sweet. And we will mistakenly believe that all we have is the bitter. So what do we do if we do not become Christians who learn how to renew our mind according to the Word of God, according to the very image of Christ, we will be people moved by what we see only, by what we can touch and feel and perceive only, and we will therefore be tossed to and fro, back and forth. Now, You could believe that William Cowper never battled depression again, but I'd be lying to you if I told you he did. He battled depression his entire life until he died. But he never never let go of his faith. Now, I'm not saying his depression was as bad, but sometimes we think that Jesus is a magic bullet that removes all the problems from our life, but we know that that's not true. Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us in the way when it's so dark we can't see the next step in front of us. Jesus is the door That leads to life. But to get to that door, the way could be difficult. 
Matter of fact, Jesus said the way is narrow and it is difficult. John 16, Jesus said, In this world, in this life, you will have tribulation. But what? Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. What happens when you see tribulation? Are you going to believe only what you see? Or are you going to have the hope, the good hope, that He has overcome the world in spite of the tribulation that you see? You won't have that hope if you do not renew your mind according to the truth, according to the very image of the Son of God who made you and created you. Let me take you over to Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. See, renewing of the mind is not just some abstract concept that we're going to talk about. It can't just be some abstract thing. It can't just be some theoretical thing that... that that I'm trying to, to deal with. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Here's what the renewing of the mind does in us. Ultimately, this is what, this is what it's to do. Colossians 3.8 But now you yourselves are to put off these. Put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Where, where, where do you get angry? Where does your anger begin? It begins in your mind, doesn't it? Put off blasphemy. Put off filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on, look at this, verse 10, and have put on the new man, who is what? Renewed in knowledge. According to the image of him who created him. Put off the old man. What does the old man look like? He's angry. He's wrathful. He's blasphemous. He uses foul language. He just has a bad attitude about life and about everyone around him. Put off the old man and put on the new man. Well, who is this new man? This new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Who created the new man? Christ did. Ephesians 2, who has created in himself one new man. And have put off the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We're no longer German, Irish, Italian, Mexican, South African. We are one in Christ. We don't distinguish ourselves based on those things. We identify ourselves in the one new man. And we have been created by him, in him, for him. And our minds now are to be renewed according to him who created him. So I am a new creation. 
in Christ Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now my mind is to be renewed according to the knowledge of Him, Christ, who created this new man. So as I walk through this world, and the world wants to tell me all of these things that I see, Define who I am. Define my future. Define, I can choose to believe that or I can choose to believe what the Scripture declares. But if I don't know what the Scripture declares, if I don't know what God has said, if I don't know about this Christ and who this Christ is, He better be someone more than than what I learned in my uh, lullabies or my childish prayers. Paul said when... I put away childish things. Why? Why do we put away childish things? That we may grow up and mature into Him in all things. If I don't grow up and begin to learn who this Jesus is, who I have been created in the image of now, in the new birth, in the new creation, if I don't come to know Him, If my mind is not renewed according to the knowledge of Him, then the world, the enemy, is going to trick me into believing that everything I see and everything I experience is going to... That's what really defines the truth. No, that doesn't define the truth. Jesus is the truth. Don't deny the facts. Listen, Cindy Whaling has got cancer in her body. She's battling We've gotten good report after good report after good report. We've prayed and we're believing, amen, for healing. And the reports are showing that that's working. So we thank the doctors for what they're doing. We thank the chemotherapy for what it's doing. But we don't sit here and we didn't say, now, Cindy, you shouldn't say you have cancer. Don't listen to that doctor. You don't have cancer. Just go on and pretend like that's not true. Just have faith in God. Listen, God didn't call us to be stupid. He called us to be wise, right? Do you know why children don't die of diarrhea anymore? Because of medical technology. Something as simple as diarrhea would have... It kills thousands upon thousands of children every day in certain parts of the world because they don't have something as simple as clean water. So should we say, well, you know what? I'm not going to put that uh, chlorine tablet in that water. I'm just going to believe God. I'm just going to drink that dirty water and my faith is going to make sure. That's not wisdom. That's stupidity. That's not faith. God gave somebody the sense to create the ability to clean water. God gave somebody the wisdom to create water cleaners and water treatment systems. So now much of the world doesn't have to die of dysentery anymore because we have clean water. Who should we thank for that? The scientists? Yes, go ahead and thank the scientists, but you better thank God because God's the one that gave them the knowledge to do that. Don't limit God. Don't don't just limit Him. See beyond what we're tempted to call limits. See beyond those things and understand God is the one that stands above everything. So if He stands above all of those good things, can we believe that He stands above the hard things also? That in spite of the hard things that we're going through in life, listen, we're living in a... The economy is rough right now. Listen, we live in Texas. It's good here compared to... Most parts of the world. And as hard as it is here, man, imagine what it's like in other parts of the country. Now, we don't want to deny that, but listen, we're not, who we are 
And, and who God is in promising that he'll provide for us is not defined by economic reality. We need to live and, and take note of economic reality. But listen, God's not limited by economies. But if I, if I believe what I read and believe what I watch every day, then what's going to happen? If I, that's what I'm looking to, that's what I'm going to start being conformed to. If I watch MSN every day, I'm going to believe that, oh, I'm going to believe all kinds of things, right? But if I look unto Jesus every day, it's going to cause my understanding and my mind to be brought into a conformity to Him so that I can look at things from an attitude of faith instead of fear. I don't deny the reality of what's happening, but the reality of what's happening does not supersede who God is. The reality of what's happening may be fearful, but that is not going to overcome my faith because my God is much bigger than that. I may walk through hard times, but I'm going to walk through them. Why? Because God has promised. He didn't say he'd never let me experience hard times. He said he'd never leave me in hard times. If we don't renew our mind to this truth and this reality, then we fall prey to the temptation to give place to fear. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Paul, I love these words that he penned. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment... He's not making light of the things we go through in life. He's trying to put the things we go through in life in perspective in relation to the glory of God. For these light afflictions, which which are but for a moment, are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit in you This is what he's doing. He is working in you and through you a glory. In all things, he's working for us and in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What is that glory? That glory ultimately is expressed where? In the image of the Son of God. God shown, remember, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God shown a light in our heart that we might see The glory of God where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the express image of the glory of God. This is where the fullness of God's glory was manifest in Christ. This is what God is conforming us to as we walk through this life by faith. Even, listen, this is the promise of God. Even when you get into fear and you you just lose it. God doesn't give up on you. God doesn't kick you to the side of the road and say, well, you know, you shouldn't have lost it. You've lost all hope now. I'm done with you. No, that's not what God does. That might be what we do, but that's not what God does. God knows how to take us. God knows how to use those circumstances and work in us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God knows how to take the afflictions of our life and Bring 
them to a place where his glory is revealed. You may not see it in its fullness here in this life, but I promise you one day you will know it. You will see it and you will know it in reality. I believe we will see it and know it here in much greater degrees than we may believe right now. But there's coming a day when the last enemy shall be put under his feet and we will see and we will know. Listen, we, will, we may know the bitterness of the bud here, but there's coming a day when we will experience the sweetness of the flower. And when we experience the sweetness of the flower, we're not going to be thinking about how bitter the bud was. We're only going to revel in the glory of how sweet the flower is. We won't remember the bud in that sense. And our remembrance of the bud will only make the flower that much sweeter. Amen? So this is the work of the Spirit of God in us. When we behold Him, we subject ourselves to Him. We yield to the Spirit and we take up the cross to follow Him. And in doing that, we are transformed into the very image of the Son of God. By the Spirit of the Lord. When we behold Him, listen, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I I became as a dead man. And I came to realize I was a man of unclean lips. Listen, when we see the Lord, the more we are able, the more clearly we are able to see Christ, yes, we will see our shortcomings. But God doesn't reveal those to condemn us, to make us feel guilty or shameful. That's not the point. God reveals those things in us because that is part of the process of Him conforming us more and more and more to His image. So the purpose of revealing our true nature in light of His true glory is is not for condemnation, but it's for conforming us to the image of the Son. And it's whether we are beholding Him, that will determine whether we're seeing transformation take place in and through our lives. Have you ever seen pictures of of couples that have been together for many, many decades? There was a a thing I saw this a while back in how people begin to look very similar to one another. Or you're around people that have been together and, and, you know, a The guy may be talking and his wife can just finish the sentences or vice versa. When we talk about knowing, being renewed according to the knowledge of him who created him, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about you having lots of trivia, Bible trivia in your mind. I'm talking about knowing Christ. That when you walk through the deepest and darkest thing you could possibly imagine, though hard and painful and frightening as it may be, there is an abiding sense that the one you have come to know has not left you, has not forsaken you. And even if you come to a place like William Cowper, who was convinced that That God had left him and forsaken him. Guess what? God didn't leave him in that place. 
Why? Because the reality was God never did leave him, even though William Cowper thought that he had. And he's not going to leave you, and he's not going to leave me either. So what we're beholding is going to determine what we're transformed into. Whether we experience revival and reformation personally and corporately. Renewal is not just something that must take place personally. There needs to be a corporate renewing of the mind. Christ fellowship corporately needs to experience a renewal and a renewing of the mind. That begins in you, but it can't end in you. It's got to permeate from you into this body. This is, listen, just like I can get an infection in the tip of my little finger or my little toe, and do you know what? Left unchecked, that infection can consume my whole entire body. So you really do matter. We all matter greatly. This is why we should all be praying for one another and encouraging one another. Because what you're struggling with right now really does matter to the rest of us. Whether you've made it known or whether you're keeping it hidden, it really does matter. Just like what's happening in my body affects my hand, affects all parts of me. If your leg's broke, it's going to affect every part of your body because you're not going to be able to do certain things that you could do before. No matter how bad your hand wants to do some things, other parts of your body broken, not going to be able to do it. So I want you to understand how important, and this is why the body gives us the picture, or the scripture gives us the picture that we're a body, that we're joined to life in one another in Christ. This is the importance that we need to begin to understand. This is a reality and a truth that we need to have our mind renewed to, that we are important to and for one another. So a corporate renewing of the mind is reflected in a growing up or a maturing of the body, a putting away of childish things. This is why Peter writes, he says, don't think it's strange, this fiery trial that you're going through. Listen, fiery trials are not strange things. They're part of life here on earth. They're part of the life of the believer. But we come together. We join together. We're in life together. So we walk through the fiery trials together. And we grow up together in all things. Ephesians chapter 4. We're closing with this. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Jesus, when he ascended, gave gifts to the church. And this is why he gave these gifts. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying means building up. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning 
craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, grow up in all things into Him who is the head. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying or building itself up in love. Do you see the picture? It's the body joined together, functioning together. It's that joining and functioning and sharing together that causes the body, the whole body, to grow from the little toe to the little finger all the way to the head that's directing and nourishing and providing the life. This is who we are. We are the body of Christ. This is what we renew our mind to, the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That we walk together as one body, that we're not moved by the things that we see, Because we walk by faith in the Son of God. We don't yet see all things under His feet, but we know all things have been placed under Him. It's just a matter of time until He exercises that authority. When the Bible says even the last enemy, death, will be be dealt with. Listen, the judgment's already been made. The victory's already been won. It's not a matter of whether Christ has defeated His enemies It's a matter of when Christ will exercise that victory and that judgment. So we don't yet see all things under him, but we see who? The writer of Hebrews says we see Jesus, crowned with glory. We see the suffering of Christ on the cross. Why? Because on the cross he uttered these words, it is finished. It's finished. You believe that, church? Then let's walk by faith, not by sight. And when we go through difficult times, this is why we're called to come together, to live life together, to fellowship together, to pray for one another. When you cry, we should all cry. When you hurt, we should all hurt to a degree. When you rejoice, we should all rejoice. This is what the Scripture declares to us. And we can truly say that God does work in mysterious ways. Because He does. Isaiah 55 says, His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. For His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Praise God. He truly does work in mysterious ways. But He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Amen? Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer and you're going to be dismissed. And if you're here and maybe you have a question about anything that I've talked about today, about a scripture, about a concept, or, or perhaps you'd like to, to learn more about Christ or coming to faith in Christ. Or maybe you've never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't honestly say that I know in my heart of hearts that I've been born again. And you want to talk about that or you want me to pray with you concerning that. I would invite you to come. I'd love to 
talk with you, pray with you. Or maybe you've got a need, maybe a physical need in your body or a need in your family or in your life. And you need someone to agree with you in prayer. Come and we will agree with you. Amen? There's not anything so great that God is it's beyond His scope. There's not anything so small going on in your life that's concerning you that God's not concerned with. So never say, well, you know, that's just such a trivial problem. God's got bigger issues. I don't think it's worth bothering Him over. No, if it's bothering you, then go to the Lord in prayer. Get with somebody. Let them agree with you in prayer. Amen? There's power in prayer and there's power in agreement. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is, Lord, eternal. Jesus, you said heaven and earth would pass away, but my words would never pass away. Father, we pray today that even as we have looked at your word, read your word, spoken your word, heard your word, God, let your word work in our hearts and our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring transformation and bring renewal to us, God, that we would in some small or great measure, God, be renewed according to the image of Him who has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk by faith and not by sight. There are so many things distracting us and trying to get us to look away from Jesus. Father, I pray that you would keep our hearts and keep our eyes and our minds fixed on you. Lord, you keep those in perfect peace whose minds are fixed on you. Father, we thank you for that promise. And we bless your name and we thank you for your goodness, God, and all that you're doing in the body. Lord, bless your people as they go today. Father, open their hearts and their minds to your newness, to your love, to your mercy and your grace. Help them to go out into the world and share that, to be salt, to be light. Lord, to make a difference, to show that there is a difference between the children of light and the children of darkness. Father, give us the grace to walk according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. If you'd like prayer for anything or to discuss anything, come on up. And Otherwise, hopefully we'll see all that can make it to the Super Bowl party. And be sure if you want to play some uh, football, turn that connection card in, the basket back there on the table. God bless you.